0: The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I swear I thought today was Friday for a second, but it's not. It's Thursday. Welcome to the show, July the 15th. Show 44 of the fantasy off season. It's Fantasy NBA today. I'm your host Dan Vesper. This is a Hoopball presentation. Welcome, welcome to the pod. Got a few of you guys that hit me up about the uh my bookie offer I threw out there again this week. So I'll go ahead and start the show with that. I uh basically it's the same kind of thing. Uh effectively if you want to get started doing some betting, come to me on Twitter at Dan Bespris. Just let me know. Hey, I wanna I wanna dabble. I've got cash for you to mess around with. Brand it's gotta be brand new though. If you guys have been betting for ages, I don't have you're 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 in it to win it at that point. You've probably already taken advantage of some of our promos, but if you're just looking to get started, we will literally give you money to gamble, just to play around with a little bit. No strings attached, no promos, nothing. It's easy. We want you guys to experience it without the fear factor of making that first deposit yourself. And I think our partners over at MyBookie, they would probably be happy to know that we're introducing folks to this universe that I think a lot of people were intimidated by for a long time and with good reason. It was treated as this uh, clandestine thing that just isn't anymore, but perception is working on catching up, and we're helping with that. So hit me up if you guys want to try it out. I'm more than happy to help you guys get set up with an account over at my bookie, and I, personally, Dan Bespris, on behalf of HoopBall, will make your initial deposit for you. So hit me up on Twitter if you want to do that. It's, again, at Dan DanBespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. This promo will not exist... When we get closer to the NBA season, this is an off-season-style promo because, well, frankly, this is the time when it's... I'll pull back the curtain. It's a little bit more difficult for us to reach out to you guys because listenership on things and readership on things is just down right now because fantasy isn't happening. Today, we continue our journey through Texas... Knocked out the Mavericks on yesterday's broadcast, and I flipped a coin for today between the Houston Rockets and the San Antonio Spurs, and it came up San Antonio, which I'm actually kind of okay with because I'd almost rather have the Rockets as the team we profile over the weekend because they're probably a little bit more interesting than the Spurs, but that's not entirely fair because without COVID stuff and without injury stuff, the Spurs actually do get more interesting again and from a salary cap perspective the Spurs got extraordinarily interesting season over season because contracts are just (laughs) disappearing Kaiser Soze style they're gone the Spurs four of their five biggest contracts are off the books as of whenever the hell that deadline is I don't I don't remember when it all becomes official DeMar DeRozan, free agent. Rudy Gay, free agent. Patty Mills, free agent. LaMarcus Aldridge, cut mid-season. Damari Carroll, they still owe him a million dollars, but effectively that was nothing. And so now San Antonio, they only have about $59 million or so on the books going into next season. This leads us down a few different pathways. I want to talk about That, the broad idea of the pathways this could go down, and then we're going to break it down on a player-by-player basis the way we always do. From a broad perspective, the Spurs are not going to look in October the way they looked three months ago, two months ago in May. They're just not. DeMar DeRozan was the highest usage guy on that team, and he's gone Lamarcus Aldridge was for many years a high usage guy on that team, and he was gone by midseason and then retired. The youth movement is movement, excuse me, is fully in effect in San Antonio. But we have to take all of this with a grain of salt. The, the grain of salt being they've got two guys in San Antonio that are more or less locked in. Those guys are DeJounte Murray who signed for three more years at about 16 mil a pop, and Derek White, who signed for four years at about uh, 17 or so million a pop. So those two guys, Young, White is 27, Murray is 24. Those guys have a job on this team, and it's going to be to do a whole bunch of stuff, and we'll talk about that momentarily. Everything else is a bit up in the air. The Spurs seem pretty excited about Keldon Johnson. He played a ton of minutes this last year. Didn't do a lot with it fantasy-wise, but did play a ton of minutes. They seem to like Jakob Purtle. He was part of the return, remember? He's been there for a while now. Uh, that the Spurs got way back when. And he's signed for two more years at about $9 million a piece. But here's the thing. As much as I personally have pushed Jakob Pertl on you guys, and Brewski did it even before I did, here at Ball. his job isn't secure for next season. There are significantly better centers available on the open market. Well, maybe I maybe I shouldn't go so far as to say on the open market, but there are better centers available around the NBA, and if the Spurs decide they want to spend some of their cash on a center, then Pertl might lose his job. I would still venture to say that if you're San Antonio, you've got a bunch of glaring needs. If, if we hypothetically assume that Dejounte Murray and Derek White are the starting backcourt going into next year, the three, the four, and the five are all still sort of floating. Let's assume Keldon Johnson basically plays the four for this team. That leaves the three and the five. And if Pirtle's your five, then that would only leave the three. Small forward spot. Uh you might see a you more more Devin Vassell this coming season. I would guess that you would. He's still on his rookie deal and they've got him with team options until the end of time. Lonnie Walker played a fair amount this last year. And that's probably about as far as you need to bother going, just sort of based on who played minutes last season that may. Continue to see minutes this coming year. But someone's coming in. The Spurs are going to sign somebody. It can't, I'd be really surprised. I mean, the salary cap in the NBA this last season was about $110 million. I don't pretend even to know what direction that's going to go now that they're expecting to have fans back in the arena, or is that a lagging indicator? Like, are we going to see a dip? in salary cap because there weren't many fans this season, and then it'll come back up after that? Or are they going to try to create sort of a wash so they don't have to move the number all that much? I don't know. Let's just assume it stays relatively close to 109. That gives the Spurs almost $50 million to spend on stuff. Are they going to get a superstar? I doubt it. So you're probably not going to see the Spurs put 25 to 35 million dollars into one player which means if they're spending and they can teams can stay under the salary cap by a certain amount they can't go too far under the salary cap that's the floor but they're still gonna have to spend probably some 20 30 ish odd million dollars maybe more and that's going somewhere so you'll see a 10 million dollar guy you'll see an eight you'll see a 12 you'll see things like that those might be dudes that the spurs end up playing Next year, they might bring batty Patty Mills back, so if he comes back and takes a whole bunch of three pointers, they might bring Rudy Gay back. And that stuff all does cloud things up a little bit. But as we take that contract information and apply it going forward, I believe the two biggest things, maybe even three, if you want to call it, if you want to lump the center position in, the three biggest things, that are going to shape the way we look at San Antonio for next year are one, and this is the biggest, and there's nothing close, DeMar DeRozan off the books. And he's almost definitely not going back to a team in something of a rebuild. DeMar took 15 shots a game this year and seven free throws, so he was the preeminent ball, I guess, handler, really, on this team. He led the team in assists over Murray. DeMar averaged seven assists a game this season. That. Actually, even surprises me looking at it right now. That's a lot going to other guys, even if you bring someone else in. Even if you bring someone else in, they're not going to be doing as much as DeMar DeRozan did. In fact, even if you brought a few guys in, they probably wouldn't do as much as DeMar DeRozan did. Big thing number two, I would assume Derek White will start the season healthy. I don't know. I don't know that this is the case because he just never quite got right this season. He looked, frankly, out of shape for most of this season. Uh, Played until late April and then sat out the last couple of weeks again, which is a shame because he was actually starting to look like himself a little bit towards the end of that stretch. I really don't know how healthy Derek White is going to be next year. He has not exactly looked like a pillar of health through his career so far. 67 games two years ago. 68 last year it was actually closer to being healthy, but his role hadn't grown yet. And then this year, with the big role bump on the horizon, just 36. Exactly 50% of his team games. We know DeJounte Murray can hang in there. He played 68 out of their 72 regular season games this year, which is... uh. Wait, am I getting that right, or did that include the the one play-in game? I, honestly, it doesn't matter either way. Point is, he made it through most of their ball games. They sit him every once in a while for a, an odd rest day. I was 67 out of 72, but that's better than the league average. He's a big-time steals guy. Rebounds, can pass. His scoring is up. Field goal percent is okay, but not great for someone who doesn't really take many three-pointers. Free throw percent was up around his career-high marker uh, in the high 70s now. Would love to see that climb into the low 80s, but you kind of know what you're getting out of DeJounte Murray at this point. The best fantasy player on the Spurs is off the roster. That was DeMar. 62 games, top 50 on a per-game basis. I'm not going to really worry about what he's doing going forward because we need to know where he's going to end up, but I would venture to guess it's not going to be as good as this. Everyone else, and I say this pretty confidently because I don't think the Spurs bring in anyone of substantial usage. Low, maybe medium, but not big. So I say the following with a pretty high measure of confidence. Everyone else on the Spurs going into next year deserves some kind of bump to their numbers because usage is value. We've been down this road so many times since the end of the season, and this is a really easy, linear path to wander. DeJounte Murray in 14.6 shots per game this year was number 67 on a per-game basis. If you take DeJounte Murray and you give him 15.5 or 16.5 shots next year, I don't know how much it's going up, but it's going to be a little bit. It's better. It's better because his percentages are only a very small net negative, and more usage means more points, more threes, more assists, more free throws, which is basically neutral for him. Yeah, the turnovers probably go up for next year. But the points, the threes, the assists are going to counterbalance whatever negative you might feel in field goal percent from him doing a little bit more. It's three categories against one. It's three categories against one and a half if you put turnovers in the mix. Like Turnovers probably go above two next year. Truly, I don't care because if his scoring goes from 15.5 to 17.5 or 18 and if his threes goes from .9 to 1.3 and his assists go from 5.5 to 7, that's way more valuable than uh, the 45% field goal shooting being on an extra shot and a half per game. It's bigger. And then with Derek White, the story is similar and even larger because White, his numbers this season were artificially depressed by the fact that he didn't play normal minutes for a lot of his basketball games because he was constantly working his way back from injury. Which, to me, makes what Derek White did this season all the more impressive. He was actually inside the top 100 on a per-game basis despite, of his 36 games, I would argue anywhere, like, maybe a dozen even of them were played under a minutes cap. Only two-thirds of his game this year. If that, was he playing without a minutes cap, and he still managed to get inside the top 100. This is why it's so important to look at different stretches of time. So with Derek White, lop off the first two months of the season, where basically he was playing under a minutes cap, and take him going at 31-ish minutes per game, and his field goal percent was was down this season as a whole. And also you have this sort of limited sample size thing to work through. But once he was playing more like 31 minutes a game, he was averaging almost 17 points, three and a half boards, three and a half assists, 1.6 combined defensive stats. That's probably a number that goes up. Medium volume, 87% at the free throw line, two and a half three-pointers per game on only 41% shooting, which... We know enough about Derek White to know that, admittedly, like this was only his uh, fourth season in the NBA, but he's a career 45% shooter who shot 41% this year. You can chalk a lot of that up to two things. First, he took more three-pointers this season, and that's going to drive your number down. But also, he just wasn't right for long stretches this season. And then... So that's the number, that was number two, by the way, looping all the way back to our, our numerical bullet points here. Number one was DeMar DeRozan is leaving, and no one's coming that's going to do as much as he did. Number two is that DeJounte Murray... Uh, well, number two is that everybody else is getting a massive bump, and I focus, of course, largely on Murray and White as the guy's getting that giant bump. And number three is pay very close attention to what the Spurs do with their center position. Right now, Jakob Pertle is the starter... And some weird combination of Trey Lyles and Drew Eubanks is the backup five. That's not sustainable. I think they had Gorgie Jang for stretches this year also, but who's keeping track? Right now, Pirtle could start and play starters minutes. Over the last 42 games of his season, he averaged 30 minutes a ballgame, which is basically when LaMarcus Aldridge wasn't there anymore. Ten points, eight and a half boards, two blocks 62% 62% from the field, low-ish volume, god-awful free throw shooter at 59% over that stretch. But you just sort of swallow that pill because it was only two free throws a game. You could counterbalance that with one good foul shooter. In fact, you could if you had DeMar DeRozan and Jakob Pertle, you're actually above average in free throw shooting, despite having effectively one tank guy on your team. But Pertle with two blocks, 62% from the field, and above average rebounding, that made Jakob over that stretch number 62 in nine category leagues. Another kind of nice note on Jakob Pertl, should he keep the starting job, is that he's been relatively durable, with small exceptions. He never really has had the kind of large workload that he saw in the second half of this season, but he played 69 out of their 72 games this year, 66 out of their, what, 71, 72 games last year, uh 77 out of 82 the previous year in San Antonio all 82 for Toronto 4 years ago I think you can effectively give Jakob Pertl the 10th category which makes him a really nice draft pick in head to head leagues as well because you can count on him head to head leagues really it values the can you count on me aspect of the ball game over the entire season if you include the games where Pertl was playing backup center to LaMarcus Aldridge. He was number 94, played in 69 out of those 72 games. By totals, he was number 59. If he's rolling at a mid-60s clip and missing only, I mean, less than 5% of his team's basketball games, that puts him in the top 40 by totals. So as a starter, he'd be, he'd be in the 30s, would be my guess, by totals this coming season. I remain skeptical, though, that the Spurs don't bring in someone, even a backup center, That could log 22 minutes per game as opposed to, again, what we just saw from Pirtle, which is when the guys behind him were Clunk City, well, Bebop and Rocksteady, uh, he was playing 30 minutes a game. So I don't know that he gets back up into that 30 threshold. That's a top 60 fantasy player in 30 minutes a game. 26 minutes a game, you're probably looking more like a top 80, top 85, top 90. But with that durability, that makes him a guy that, again, probably pushes into the 60s by totals over the course of the year. The way that this plan gets completely detonated, the way we jam some Acme brand TNT and light the fuse, is if the Spurs bring in a starting center, because then you're staring right down the barrel of a timeshare. So I don't think they're going to move Pertle back to like a 19-minute roll. He probably keeps at least 22 in a worst-case scenario, which means whatever they do bringing someone in, it's going to have to be someone like a Nerlens Noel that could get it done in only 24, 25 minutes of ballgame. I don't know what other centers they might be looking at. The Spurs don't strike me as a team that desperately wants to bring in a veteran that's demanding minutes and touches and basketball because as long as it feels like Jakob Pertl's been around, he's still actually only 25, so he can kind of be part of this young team core even if he's not as impactful or, frankly, basketball interesting as a DeJounte Murray or as a Derek White might be. Moving beyond those guys, the only other name I'm keeping tabs on is not Keldon Johnson. You guys heard me clown on him throughout the second half of this season. He was vastly overrated because he got off to a good shooting, high-scoring, fat rebounding start this year. But it really all came apart. I think you can blame some of it on COVID. He missed some time right around the All-Star break dealing with that. And I don't like, was he actually the same after that stretch? You can make arguments either way. Rookie wall. Uh, wait, he wasn't a rookie. He was a second-year guy, wasn't he? Yeah, second-year guy who, ba- who only played 17 games last year. So he was like a rookie plus this season. May have hit a wall. Number of three-pointers went up this year. As a percentage of total shots, they didn't, though. His field goal percent dropped from 60% his rookie year to 48%. This season, free throw percent was down at 74. Decent rebounder, averaged six a game in 28 and a half minutes, but just really didn't do anything to separate himself. He was the epitome of a points league waiver wire guy. 13 points, six boards, two assists, no real defensive stats to speak of, and one three-pointer. He would have to get a ton better from a fantasy standpoint to make waves in a nine category or eight category, or frankly, even a points league at this point, his free throw percent would have to get markedly better. Did I screw up his number on free throw percent? No, he is 74. Um, uh, So with Johnson, he already was playing 29 minutes a game. And he'll get more shots with no DeMar around, so 10 shots a game, maybe that goes up to 12. But is that enough? No. I can answer that question quickly for you. He was number 195 in nine category leagues. An extra two shots a game doesn't get him into the top 100. You know what does? Getting his combined steals and blocks from .9 to about 1.5, and I don't see that happening. That just doesn't seem like it's his fantasy game. He's going to need to do the Brandon Ingram. You're going to need to see... Field goal percent stay while threes go up, steals go up, blocks go up, and free throw percent goes up. That is pretty damn rare. And the only reason I'm not making a bigger deal about Brandon Ingram doing it is that he's a pterodactyl, and it always was weird that he didn't get defensive stats. Kelton Johnson is not a pterodactyl. He's 6'5", decent uh, stockiness to him, 6'5", eleven. He's strong. But he's not... Like, DeJounte Murray's the pterodactyl on that team. His arms stretch from baseline to baseline. Uh, Johnson's not that guy. So when you watch him play, you're not like, this guy should have more steals and blocks. The way that, certainly watching Brandon Ingram, you thought, this guy should be able to just reach up and block people. Because his arms are 15 feet long. He was like, what? Brandon Ingram's like 6'9", 6'10", something like that. I just, I don't see how that happens for Keldon Johnson year over year. So in fact... The guy that I'm talking about watching is Devin Vassell. If only because we just don't really know what could be should he play more. And he almost definitely will next season play more. He's not a rookie plus. He was actually a rookie this year. 11th pick by the Spurs out of Florida State. Yes, I had to look that up because I don't know anything about what these guys did in college. 6'7", buck 94. So taller than Keldon Johnson leaner than Keldon Johnson and really didn't get a chance to show his wares very much. I don't have particularly high hopes on the fantasy side for Devin Vassell because the few times we saw him log meaningful minutes, and I mean, they were very much few and far between. He played 27 minutes, 26 minutes in back-to-back games in Portland and Golden State in mid-January. And in those games, he aver- he had six points, seven boards, four assists, two steals, and a block. And the other one, 8 points, 3 boards, 2 assists, 2 steals, and a block. The steals and block thing is interesting. And I don't know, again, the, the, the amount of data we have on this is relatively limited. I don't think that you can take two games and extrapolate a whole lot from that. 17 minutes a game last year, he averaged point three blocks, point seven steals, which means if he got about 30 minutes, then he'd be in the 1.2 steals, point. Uh, five blocks territory, and that would actually be pretty good if we had any idea that that was going to be the case. He's not going to play 34 minutes a game this coming season. His usage rate should tick up. Field goal percent will probably tick up. Good foul shooter. Not many. Didn't take many of them. Attempted like 50 the entire season, but made most of them. 84% clip. Didn't rebound very much. Didn't pass very much. Like, it was... The amount of data we got in Devin Vassell this year was frightfully small. And even when you you parse the game by game, you have these, like, four games all year where you're like, oh, that was interesting. So what if he played 25 minutes a game this coming season? Is he even worth looking at in your draft? I think the answer to that question is still no, if only because... There are guys out there that we can probably draft in the 130-150 range who have a better per-minute output than Vassell had this last season. If you expect that perhaps he gets better at some stuff, that maybe the scoring improves, the rebounding improves, is, is he going to actually be their full-time small forward this coming season it's just a, a youth free-for-all? one through four, basically, on that club, then, yeah, maybe there's, like, you know, he's not going to be as good as Anthony Edwards, so it's a weird comparison to make, but maybe that that's the trajectory they're thinking of. Just throw him into the fire and start, f- and start heaving stuff at the rim. I just don't know. I just don't know. I wish that I could say we knew for sure. In all likelihood, the Spurs bring in somebody on the wing, whether it's retaining Rudy Gay or Patty Mills, who's really more of a shooting guard, uh, and is more of a power forward these days, or, or bring in someone that we don't know much about, some of their salary cap is probably going to go towards shoring up the wing because guys like Keldon Johnson, third-year guy with not much experience, uh, the, the guy we were just talking about just a second ago, Devin Vassell, is going to be a sophomore player in the NBA. Lonnie Walker feels like he's been around for a while, but it really hasn't. He was drafted, what, three years ago at this point? So next season will be his fourth in the NBA. He'll play, but he doesn't have much in the way of fantasy game. It's all three-pointers and nothing else. If I had to guess, if I had to guess, and there, this is just more an exercise than anything healthy at this point. If I had to guess, uh, none of these guys, none of these fringe players clear the hurdle for fantasy value next year because there's going to be enough of a log jam that it just won't get done. DeJounte Murray and Derek White will... Certainly on a per-game basis, can't speak to how healthy either of them stays, but Murray you'd assume stays somewhat healthy. And then Jakob Purtle is the giant question mark, is someone going to come in and take his job? My favorite play on the Spurs for this coming season is probably Derek White, because he missed so much time, he was a bit out of shape, a little bit overweight, probably because he couldn't get his conditioning up while hurt all the time, and just... He had one of those stretches this year where, where kind of everything that could go wrong did. And I wonder, do people see the number 96 on his per-game marker ranking this year and think, this is who he is? Because if so, then we're sitting on a gold mine. If, if that's the case then he'll be one of the first names in the Dan Bespris non-boring value squad because he's not old enough to put him in the old man squad, guys. Although he is older than some of the other dudes. He was, wasn't he drafted? I think he played four years of college ball, didn't he? And he's been around now. This was his fourth NBA season. It it just doesn't feel like that because he's been so banged up and it's been, last two years have been so damn weird. The Spurs have been in kind of this rebuild limbo, for a couple of seasons now. But, like, if you look at the Derek White numbers, when he was mostly healthy two years ago and only played 26 minutes of ball game, he was at 10, 3, and 4 with a steal and .7 blocks. If you assume that healthy Derek White gets you back somewhere into that territory in more like 30 or 32 minutes a game... With the DeMar DeRozan bump, meaning his usage gets kicked into high gear and he's taking like 14 shots a game this coming season, Derek White actually has top 50 fantasy upside. Because you could be looking at like 17, 3, and 4 with almost two defensive stats and two three-pointers. And I'm betting he gets drafted between 80 and 110. Where exactly in that range, I don't know, but I'd be very surprised if you saw Derek White come off the board before the end of the seventh round, basically, and then with Jakob Purtle, uh, he'll be someone that probably gets drafted near a hundred, even if they don't bring someone in. And he makes a lot of sense to me as you know a ninth, tenth round kind of draft pick guy, maybe even late eighth round if you just want to lock something in. But of course, that very heavily contingent on what the Spurs do with their salary cap and the big man spot. The two guys on that team you're just not worried about, salary cap, whatever, Murray and White. Those guys are locked in. Tomorrow we'll break down the Houston Rockets. That'll carry us through the weekend. I might try to squeeze two teams in because we're going to run out of time to do all 30 before free agency sets. Or maybe we just do these shows uh, when we have a day where a bunch of free agents don't sign. Oh, also, uh, burying the lead a little bit on today's show... The uh, Bucks tied up the finals, two games apiece. We'll talk more about that on tomorrow's show. And Kawhi Leonard had a partial ACL tear. They did finally come out and give the news on that. So he now, which is a damn shame because Kawhi Leonard was one of our easy winners drafted at like 14 every year and just dominating it. He's way off the list. And Paul George should be way on the list all of a sudden. Even if he misses 20 games, Paul George should outperform his marker. Uh, and we're going to want to take another long look at the Clippers for next season. Uh, maybe we'll do that on tomorrow's show as well. But we're going to wrap this one up. Wanted to keep this uh, in the 30 to 35-minute range. Tomorrow, again, we'll talk more about a little bit of a Clippers redux, Houston Rockets finals, and that'll be your Friday weekend edition of the show. I'm Dan Vespers at Dan Vespers on Twitter. Hit me up if you want to be a part of our uh, sports betting adventure here. Oh, and I got to tell you about the Hoopball Loyalty Program on tomorrow's show as well. Remind me. We got tweets about that going out. Uh, Basically, effectively, the the short version is prices are going to be going up, and if you get in on any of our membership plans, Fantasy Pass, DFS Pass, Wager Pass, Hoopball 360, whatever, you can lock in that price forever. If our prices go up this year and next year and whatever... You keep the same one the whole way through. Grandfathered for life. It's pretty cool. I'll tell you more about that on tomorrow's show, but definitely check that out. Uh, Links are floating around on Twitter right now as well. Enjoy your Thursday, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Big show, actually, for Friday. Later.